Hi, this is Rachel Hine and Rosie Tillis, Duke Plastic Surgery Residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for our yearly in-service examination. Our goal is to take you through high yield topics along with experts in the respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and pot potential scores. Today, we will be doing something a little different called Quick Hits, a fast paced review of high yield facts taken directly from previous in-service examinations. So we'll be covering breast augmentation. We're gonna start by talking about the anatomy. We'll talk about some anomalies of breast development. We'll talk about breast lesions and screening for those. Then we'll talk about some implants, placement of those implants, complications of those implants, starting off with the anatomy. The milk line forms at five weeks of gestation. This course is from the axilla to the groin and normal breasts then form in the prepectoral region along the fourth and fifth intercostal space as the ectodermal layer penetrates the mesoderm. And there is a regression of the milk line everywhere else. Sensation to the nipple areolar complex is from the lateral cutaneous branch of the fourth intercostal nerve. The blood supply of the breast is the internal thoracic or mammary perforators. And these may be divided in both subglandular and subpectoral placement of tissue expanders or implants. The lateral thoracic vessels and thoracoacromial vessels also supply the breast tissue. And the thoracoacromial vessels are the supply preserved in the subpectoral placement. Ptosis occurs through a combination of atrophy of the breast, loss of elasticity of the skin envelope, and attenuation of Cooper's ligaments. Um, in terms of hormonal development of the breast, estrogen is the primary hormone promoting development of the breast epithelium and ductal tissue. And progesterone acts in combination with estrogen to regulate breast development. Next, we'll talk about some of the anomalies that are frequent hits on the in-service. So first is amastia, which is where the breast and nipple are both absent. Amasia is absence of the mammary gl uh, gland alone, so they will still have a nipple. Athelia is absence of the nipple with still a breast or mammary gland. Pollen syndrome is abnormality of the pectoralis muscle. Um, this is also correlated with ipsilateral limb hypoplasia. Um, and then there's pectus deformities in which this is alteration in appearance of sternum and costal attachments. Anterior thoracic hypoplasia is a unilateral sunken anterior chest, hypoplasia of the breast, superior placed uh, nipple areolar complex, normal pectoralis muscle, and normal sternum. So if you get a question trying to differentiate these, if the question stem states that the patient has a normal pectoralis muscle that cannot be pollen syndrome, um, instead you would probably want to think about something like anterior thoracic hypoplasia. Tuberous breast deformity is also something we're frequently, frequently tested on. And this deformity consists of hypoplastic breast parenchyma, herniation of parenchyma in the areole, enlarged areole, superior placement of the IMF and asymmetry. And we are often asked what this is and what the treatment is. So treatment includes implant placement in a dual plane with radial parenchymal scoring to prevent double bubble and to expand the pocket. You want to lower the IMF and a vertical mastopexy can be performed if there is severe ptosis, but more commonly it's a circumareolar mastopexy if there's a nipple areolar complex deformity. Um, and that also helps you reduce the size of the areoli. Finally, we have ectopic breast tissue, which is fail failure of regression of the milk line, which uh, Rosie talked about at the beginning of the podcast. 
So the breast tissue will remain in locations outside of the normal breast, but along the breast uh, milk line. This is most common in the axillae and you can excise after a proper workup. So remember mammogram, if the patient's greater than 40 years old and has no palpable masses, if they're young and have no abnormalities then they really don't need a workup, you can go straight to excising it. And then finally, we have aberrant breast tissue, which is breast tissue outside of the milk line. So this can still occur. So ectopic breast tissue along the milk line, aberrant breast tissue is breast tissue outside of the milk line. So talking about breast lesions and diagnosis of those. So the current recommendation is for women to start getting mammograms at age 40. And if an implant is in place, you want to make sure that you require Eklund views. Diagnostic mammograms are performed if there is any abnormality or if there is a palpable mass biopsy is required. If you are concerned for fat necrosis, some things that you might see on mammogram include lipid cysts, scattered microcalcifications, which look like round spherical punctate and diffusely scattered opacifications. And these are benign. Anything that is clustered or branching may be malignant. And usually you're more likely to require a biopsy uh, after reduction than a fat transfer. Yeah. So if you think about like what causes fat necrosis, it's usually from when we do autologous fat grafting for breast augmentation, which is the topic of this lecture or in breast reduction. And so what Rosie's basically saying is that breast reductions all in all require more biopsies than autologous fat transfer. So next we'll talk about implants. There are several different types of implants and they, the older questions kind of tested them on, on the different generations, but just know that the newest generation is more cohesive, has lower rupture rates and less rippling. There is also smooth implants, which don't, um, which are not textured and they are associated with more capsular contracture, but less ALCL, which we'll talk about in a minute. The textured implants are associated with less capsular contracture after implantation, but they are associated with ALCL. And then there's anatomic implants. And so this is, has the anatomic shape of a breast. It's great because it's more natural. The problem is, is it needs a precise surgical pocket as a rotation. It can cause deformity and need for a revision. So that's the biggest risk with an anatomic implant is actually rotation. They're more prone to seroma. And then given that they are also textured, they have less capsular contracture. And then when you think about the cohesivity, the higher cross-linking improves form stability, like a cohesive gel but risks of this newer generation include gel fracture and delamination of the shell. Okay, so we'll go ahead and talk about placement of expanders or implants. So the most important factor for determining prosthesis size is breast base width. We can talk about the different placements of these expanders or implants, including dual plane. And this is when you have a subpectoral superior pole of the implant and then a subglandular inferior pole. Tebbets recommends pinching the skin and subcutaneous poles for a pinch test for, to determine if the thickness is appropriate for subcutaneous implants. And if the pinch test is less than two centimeters, um, it is recommended to place a dual plane implant. Sub, subpectoral placement of implants is associated with animation deformity. So that actually looks like a lateral displacement of the implants with weightlifting. And the ideal upper pole to lower pole ratio is 45 to 55. All right, next we'll talk a little bit about capsular contracture. There's a Baker's grading system, which we are tested on. It's four different grades. The grade one is normal. So there's no pain, no visible contracture, no palpable contracture. Grade two has a palpable contracture only and is not visible. 
Grade three is where you have both a palpable and visible contracture. And grade four, which is the highest grade, is a painful contracture with all of these. It's visible, it's palpable, and it's painful. Subclinical infections are known to be associated with capsular contracture, specifically biofilm formation. There are things that are associated with decreased capsular contracture. So if you are performing an augmentation, the things that decrease your risk of capsular contracture are placement through the inframammary um, fold, a subpectoral placement over a subglandular placement, use of textured implants. And then if you think about what increases your risk for capsular contracture, it is if you use a periareolar incision, um, subglandular placement, and also smooth implants. So those three, three things are associated with a higher rate of capsular contracture. Site change and implant exchange are the only factors that have consistently been shown to decrease recurrence rates of capsular contracture. So anything else does not decrease it. That is site change and implant exchange. And then there's also the idea of a late seroma that occurs after breast implants. And this is defined as occurring greater than one year after the implants. It's most commonly related to texture implants and, and it can create a double capsule, which fills with fluid. And by and large, this is the most common cause of a late seroma. So I know we think of ALCL, but by and large, you know, even though you will do the workup, which we talk about, it is a double capsule formation and treatment of this includes a capsulectomy and pocket change. When somebody has implants in place, evaluation is recommended, specifically MRI. Um, you want to watch them for rupture, check after the first three years, and then after that, every two years. Findings that are indicative for rupture on MRI include the linguini sign, which is the outer capsule of the implant actually looks like linguini. That shows intercapsular rupture, and generally that's not um, clinically evident that's just something you find on MRI. You can also see the teardrop sign on MRI. So complications of breast augmentation overall, there's high rates of revision. That's the highest overall risk when you obtain a breast augmentation. There's a couple things that we are tested on, like spontaneous galact galactorrhea. This can also occur after breast reductions, but it's thought to be due to changes in the innervation to the chest. So interruption of the intercostal nerves or pressure related to implant placement. There's also postpartum symptomatic galactoseals. Those can be treated with bromocryptine, which is a dopamine receptor agonist, and that inhibits milk production. The next topic we'll talk about is mastopexy, which improves tonic breasts. Um, in evaluation for mastopexy, you'll look at the grade of ptosis. So grade one, you'll have the nipple at the level of the IMF, or one centimeter below. Grade two ptosis will have the nipple between the IMF and the lowest contour of the breast, so usually one to three centimeters below the IMF. Grade three will have the nipple at the lowest contour of the breast and pointing down. Totic breasts are due to involutional changes after childbirth, and that's because of a decrease in the number of lobules, which is replaced by stromal matrix and fat. In terms of operative design, the periareolar mastopexy is suited for correction of minimal degrees of ptosis. So that would be grade one or two. Complications of a periareolar design include flattening of the central breast mound, widening of the areolar diameter, irregularity, and bottoming out. Areolar spreading is most common. Yeah. And like you said, that's best used for when you want to elevate the nipple only one to two centimeters. The T incision marking or the wise pattern marking of mastopexy um, relies on the angle of divergence of the lower limb to dictate the amount of tissue removed. So a wider angle of divergence means more tissue is resected. This can create a lower pole deformity. So T incision or Y's pattern can create lower pole deformities. This can be forced to be wider by large areolas. 
complications include the boxy shaped breast. Vertical mastopexies are associated with increased distance from the nipple to the IMF. So this correlates with the length of the vertical pillars. The nipple areolar complex position is usually set at Patangi's point, which is determined by transposing the IMF crease onto the breast in front of it. All right, so next we'll talk about the pedicles associated with mastopexies, and this is similar to breast reductions, which we'll talk about in a different podcast, but there's several different ones. The first one is the superior pedicle, which is based off the internal mammary perforators from the second intercostal space. The central and inferior pedicles are from the fourth intercostal space. The medial pedicle is from the third intercostal space, and the lateral pedicle, which is sometimes used, is from superficial branches of the lateral thoracic artery. Mastopexy with augmentation is another form of mastopexy. And in general, mastopexy with augmentation is more difficult to predict aesthetic results. Complications and revision rates are higher and operative time is longer. And this is frequently stated because they have opposing effects. You know, mastopexy takes tissue away, whereas augmentation kind of fills with more volume. And so you have contradicting forces. Advantages of this technique includes improved superior pull production over mastopexy alone. You can also acquire a waterfall breast deformity, and this is when the totic breast hangs off of the implant, and treatment for this is implant exchange and mastopexy. Complications of mastopexy include superior nipple malposition, normal measurements from the sternal notch to the nipple are 19 to 21 centimeters, and from the IMF to the nipple is 7 to 9 centimeters. Correction of this in the, the IMF to nipple includes resection of the lower pole. However, a high-riding nipple is very difficult to correct. The biggest risk of og mastopexy, as Rachel discussed, is the need for revision because it's very difficult to predict the results. Yeah, and I think something that is asked over and over is what is the most difficult part to correct? And that is a high riding nipple. So when you have a short sternal notch to nipple distance, correction is really difficult because you can't add tissue there. Say start talking about um, expansion or free nipple grafting. Whereas if you have a long nipple to IMF, you can do a wedge or section. And that's, you know, sometimes asked for revision of these. Um, The final topic is breast implant um, associated ALCL. This commonly presents as a late seroma. So the first thing that you'll do is when you have a patient with a late seroma, you evaluate it with an ultrasound. You then perform FNA or a fine needle aspiration with markers to check CD30 T cell surface protein. Remember that the ALCL is a T cell lymphoma, not a B cell lymphoma. It's a T cell mediated process. This has been associated with textured implants, not smooth and associated macro texturing. And when patients are diagnosed with this, the treatment includes total capsulectomy and explantation as well as removal of the lymphoma. And there's a little bit of a discrepancy on whether they need bilateral implant removal and capsulectomy or unilateral alone. And so I've seen that kind of both ways. I don't think they'll give you both of those answers in a test question. And it's indolent. So it's got a less aggressive course than a non-breast implant associated ALCL. Mm -hmm. And the last thing that we have to mention and we're commonly tested on is Mondor disease, which is a benign self-limiting thrombophlebitis of the inframammary veins. This often occurs two to three weeks post-operatively. And the treatment is warm, moist dressings and anti-inflammatory agents. You do not need to operate, do not need to do, and anticoagulation is not indicated for these patients. Awesome. So those are the quick hits for breast augmentation and mastopexy. These are taken directly from in-service questions from the last five to eight years. So I hope you enjoyed it and there'll be more coming soon. Thanks. We would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. 
Allergan Aesthetics is now part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of the topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they are dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.